Hi, this is Mike McNamara, and you're listening to All Marine Radio on your home for it, the one and only All Warrior Radio Network. Wednesday before Christmas, no less. Good morning to you. Welcome to a December 22nd edition of All Marine Radio. Merry Christmas, everybody. And happy holidays to everybody else. Much to my great surprise, I tested negative for COVID yesterday. Yeah, I thought that I had the symptoms going back to last week. I was sure I had COVID. And I went and got tested. Spent 110 bucks, which pissed me off, only to find out I'm negative. So my daughter's positive, Colleen, the disgusting one. Yeah, she's positive, and I'm negative. So I have a headache, sore throat. Yeah, and then I'm negative. Now, why do I find that irritating? I'm not sure. <laughs> but I do. Hmm. So anyway, 
the um good morning to you so we have two in a wake up before christmas if you're uh if you're not done with your shopping you're on track i mean come on the joy of shopping is come on is getting out there with everybody you know all the christmasy stuff that goes on blah 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 so yeah i think so anyway i mean I mean, oh, I got my Christmas shopping done in the summer. Well, wait a minute. It's not even Christmas shopping. You're just, buy- you're just buying stuff. Christmas shopping is going to the mall and hearing the music and seeing the decorations and being caught up in the Christmas spirit. Oh, I guess you could sit at home through all that, but it doesn't sound like fun. Yeah, it's going Christmas shopping. So. Anyway, a uh, lot, lot of holiday specials these days, too, just in case you don't know. How do I know that? Because it says that on Stars and Stripes right now. Don't miss these holiday season specials. Who's that from? Who do you think would be doing that advertising on Stars and Stripes? We're going to find out. At the commissary. (laughs) No doubt. The commissary. So, um, yeah. The, um... Hold on, let me read you an email. You sound disappointed you don't have COVID. Well, you know, I was, um, I, I'm shocked because the symptoms I had, and I don't normally have those kind of system, symptoms. So I would even, I would even question my, can you get a false negative? Of course you can, right? Yeah. I would question my false negative. Yeah. That's what I have to say about that. My false negative. I would question that. So, for what it's worth, um, yeah, I, I, I definitely don't believe that it's. I because I don't have those symptoms. I don't have those symptoms. So anyway, so good morning on Wednesday. Um, yeah, this morning, Jeff. Uh, he has to work. It happens on occasion, I know. Uh, Will just opted out, I think, because of his gambling addiction. Um, and then, um, and so uh, Tim Lynch joined me. And uh, so we'll uh, we'll talk to Timmy. And, uh, you know, here's what I find out relative to The Wizard of Oz. And you can listen to it unfold as I take him to task. Lynch... So I didn't know this, and you'll hear this in in, in our discussion. But I I start reading about The Wizard of Oz, and the author's name is L. Frank Baum, B-A-U-M. And all the stuff that we were talking about was all bullshit, that Timmy Timmy was reading off some fucking paper written in the 60s. When you read the stuff that Baum says about where Oz comes from, The stuff his family says about the yellow brick road. It has nothing to do with anything that Timmy was talking about. And so I'm reading that yesterday. And every time I'm reading it, I'm thinking, fucking Timmy. And so you'll hear our little interchange. And then what he explains to me is the art of being a podcast guest. (laughs) I'm like, what? He goes, yeah. He goes, look. 
I don't know shit about the Wizard of Oz. I said, so you made stuff up? He said, well, I didn't exactly make anything up. I'm like, what the hell? So, yeah, you'll get to hear about that after we talk about some other stuff. So, um, so good morning to you. Uh, I hope you're having a good Christmas week. Um, the uh, I'll tell you something. I'm, I'm, I continue to be curious about the Ukraine and what Vladimir Putin's endgame for all of this is. Where does all of this go? So he mobilizes all these troops. And then I'm thinking, okay, in the world of Russia, what does this cost him? Okay. So it costs him no foreign currency, right? To fuel this thing and to move these people there. He can, he can pay for it in worthless Russian rubles. Nobody cares, right? Literally, nobody cares about the Russian ruble. Okay, so what would it take him hard currency to pay for? Fuel? No. Not fuel. Hmm. Because Russia's got a ton of that. So, as he amasses troops along the Ukrainian border, what is it costing him? You know, I'm looking for the cost. And so he can do this, you know, for pretty cheap unless I'm not understanding Russian economics. And maybe I don't. And so what is the end game? Is it to promote Russian relevance? Is it, is it, does he actually think he can bluff? And this would be the scarier proposition that he actually believes he can bluff the West into capitulating to some demand, right, and using intermediate-range missiles to it. So I continue to watch the, you know, because clearly the demands that, that he makes late last week, early this week, are, you know, they're absurd. And he knows that NATO won't agree with that. So that's more theatrics. So he masses troops on the Ukrainian border. He makes demands that he knows the West won't um, accept. So does he, is he actually serious about invading, right, the Ukraine? When I think of the Ukraine, the, that phrase, because I have thought about this, the Ukraine is used when it was kind of a territory and a province, a geographical space. So it would be pointed to on the map, and it would be stated, the Ukraine. They went into the Ukraine, I think. That's my explanation anyway. So does he honestly intend, and all this is the theatrical buildup that will give him his premise to say, I cannot accept this level of aggression and this threat to the Rodina, the motherland, Russia, and therefore I need this buffer that is Ukraine and I will take it back with force. And there will be a, I mean, there ought to be, you know, 
a a price from hell that Russia pays if they do that. Because we've all seen the lessons in the last century of what appeasement does when somebody does this kind of stuff. So I'm so I'm I, I continue to be most curious uh, about that. I continue to be curious about the Omicron strain produces many infections and um, if you look at the hospitalization rates, very low hospitalization rates. So what do you make of that? And then politicians that will always overreact because they'll use it as something, oh, my leadership, maybe to write a book about, as Mr. Cuomo did, but certainly uh, they will do the chest thumping thing in the next election campaign. You know, my steady hand on the helm, you know, guided us through this this path of great peril. Yeah, all right. Um, and so we have to do these demonstrative things, even though, right, I have yet to see a headline that says Omicron fatalities going through the roof, blah, 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 blah. So that's the other thing is that are we ever going to get to a point where the adults occupy the critical positions and, and we take appropriate precautions given a certain threat? Or do we have one, one response fits all, and that's to, just to shut everything down? And I thought we came to the conclusion that we can't do that. That if there's people, right, in the nation that, do, that, that are at risk and choose not to take the precautions they need to take, then they bear responsibility for what happens to them. But you can't take draconian measures that shut down the nation again, right? You can't keep doing that. And I, I thought we'd learn that, but evidently not. So so anyway, I'm, I watch that too. So good morning to you on this, uh, on this Wednesday morning. The United States Marine Corps banned makes this morning official. We'll check some news headlines, and then Tim Lynch will join me for a little bit. So, good morning to you. This is dedicated to people out there that are struggling. 
And um, a lot of people struggle this time of year uh, with um, things they've struggled with for years. And uh, and I, I was talking about that last night with a group of people. And so to those of you that struggle um, with the cumulative burden of uh, things that have happened in your life, um, God bless you. There is a path. You should send me an email, and we can talk. But there's a path for you to a better place. I promise you. So um, this is dedicated to you. <laughs> betraying your whole life if you don't say what you think and you don't say it honestly and bluntly what keeps you awake at night nothing i keep other people awake at night for this campus had prepared him well <clears throat> i'm very confident that thank you very much <clears throat> if this was vodka it'd be a lot better speech <clears throat> but I'm not supposed to glamorize alcohol anymore. So young folks, you ignore what I just said. We just have to execute. And we are executing every day. And Sergeant Major and I are very proud of what you do. Doesn't mean we can't get better. We don't, we don't want to make a mistake to learn. We don't want to lose to learn. We cannot lose if we have to go fight. We got to do what these Marines did here 75 years ago. Persevere against difficult challenging conditions and odds to win. You gotta win. Alright, time for Sue. Check the weather here on a Wednesday. Currently it is partly sunny and 47 in Quantico. It is cloudy and 47 in Marine Corps Air Station Cherry Point at the Combat Center at 29 Palms, it is 43. Camp Pendleton, it is the same temperature as it is in Cherry Point, North Carolina, and that is 47 with sunny skies. Camp Smith in Hawaii, dark cloudy at 66. Okinawa, dark cloudy 67. Manila, dark cloudy 80. 
Darwin, dark cloudy, and a chilly 81 degrees in Darwin. Currently at the home of All Marine Radio, it is mostly cloudy and 49 degrees. Looking for a high of 66 today. Well, that'll be nice. 61 tomorrow with an 89% chance of rain. Same forecast on Friday. Saturday, 59 degrees. What the hell? And rain. Sunday, partly sunny and 58 degrees. Winter is upon us here in Southern California. And it sucks, okay? Just so you know, not real happy about it. The um, So let's look at your weather. We'll look at uh, some news headlines. And then as I said, uh, the one and only Tim Lynch will join me. And, uh, and we'll talk about that as a very Mensa Christmas week continues. So I don't really feel like working, so I'll have my friends come on. That's... <laughs> That's the lazy man's way. Not that I'm lazy, right? But, uh, yeah. Um, top stories. And we'll start with Stars and Stripes because you'll hear this. Uh, headline, National, Division, National Defense Authorization Act provision offers troops confidential access to mental health care. A measure to give service members easier and more confidential access to mental health care by allowing them to use a safe word, was included in the annual defense authorization bill that now awaits President Biden's signature. So after all this, all this we've been through relative to mental health, we're still at the point where you have to um, you have to say a code word so you can get it on the down low. I, I just. Again, if that's where we're at, then it gives you some idea of the effectiveness of your whole campaign. People aren't buying it. That's a problem. So, so that that's the top. That the top story. Top story in the Wall Street Journal. Omicron spread prompts more interest in boosters. Second headline is this. Will the U.S. be open in January despite Omicron? Nation wants to keep operating. Companies, schools, governments, and families are trying to apply the lessons learned over the past two years of the pandemic in an effort to make life and business more normal. You think? I mean, honestly, amazing. I, but it just doesn't, I don't know, it, it doesn't seem like we've learned anything in all of this. Um, and again, when you're dealing with uh, politicians, um I guess it would take a leader, an actual leader, to be able to sit down and say, okay, boys and girls, based on what we've learned over the last two years, these are the things that we're going to do, okay? I am not going to crush business in the state again 
So the state's going to stay open. We've been through this, right? The Omicron strain is not as, what what is the word, virulent? Is that the word they use? What does that actually mean? V-I-R. Actually, I came close in the spelling. Virulent. Of a disease or poison extremely severe or harmful in its effect. So, Omicron not as virulent as the Delta variant? Hmm. So, do we even take that into account? Or do we just have one response that fits all? I don't know. Looking at the news headlines, I would tell you we have we have a response, and it's a hysterical response, and that's what we're doing, and we are reenacting 2020 again. So there you go. And the reason is because we don't have leaders; we have elected people that are trying to make sure that they appear to be addressing this with a firm hand, as opposed to a steady hand, right? So they can run for reelection. Mac, you sound a little cynical today. Well, that is a constant theme, so I sound like that most days. Um, headline in the New York Times. Omicron is just beginning and Americans are already tired. A sense of dread about Omicron spread the fastest of any variant yet has swept through parts of the U.S. that were already overwhelmed by Delta. Next headline, another surge of the virus has colleges fearing a mental health crisis. So there you have it, the New York Times. Uh, next from uh, U.S. Naval Institute News. The USS Connecticut has pulled into the home, its home port of Bremerton ahead of repairs. Kind of interesting. Um, this is a webcam shot on December 15th, and there was nothing placed, nothing protective placed over the nose cone of the, uh, of the submarine that was damaged in its initial collision. I thought in a, in a subsequent shot, I saw that there was something that they had put on to cover that while it, while it made the voyage from Guam to San Diego. Um, and they made that voyage on the surface. I thought they had attached something, but evidently not because there's a date timestamp on the image. Interesting. Um, German Navy chief, its frigate deployment to the Indo-Pacific is the first of biennial deployments to the region. How about that? Germany, a world military plan, a world military participant. Who knew? So no other word on the uh, Article 32 hearing being currently being adjudicated in San Diego relative to the fire aboard the Bonhomme Richard. Will the Navy proceed to court-martial, and what will the charges be? 
relative to that. So, um, yeah, so I was looking for that. Nothing appears. Um, top story in Marine Corps Times still is the 360-degree review coming to help oust toxic Marine Corps leaders. You know, I don't think that's really the reason for it. That's the headline they're writing. But if you talk to people that are advocates of it, what they want to talk about is we have to find a way to have a more complete evaluation. And they would not say, no, that's, I mean, toxic leaders are not hard to spot and aren't hard to weed out. Right? At some point, normally it doesn't take long. Somebody finds out. But, um, but this certainly the toxic leaders is a better headline, no doubt about that. Top five stories in early bird this morning. Number one, Biden administration starts delaying Afghan requests to enter, starts denying Afghan requests to enter the United States. Advocates say the government belatedly set unnecessarily steep barriers that many Afghans cannot surmount. Hmm. Why would we do that? You know, the State Department is a slimy organization. Right? Why would we erect all these barriers for people that have supported us and can validate that support? Why would we not welcome them into this country? If you haven't noticed, they're gushing in via the southern border. It's not like we're like, oh, hey, we're so, we discriminate so crazily down there. I don't want to be too cynical or anything. Uh, number two story new reforms target U.S. military's missing weapons problem. Now, this is a story that's been, quite frankly, amazing. It's an Associated Press uh, story, and uh, the Department of Defense is overhauling how it keeps track of its guns and explosives, and Congress is requiring more accountability from the Pentagon. The missing, weapon, the, the missing weaponry includes assault rifles, machine guns, hand grenades, armor-piercing grenades, artillery shells, mortars, grenades, plastic explosives. The Pentagon will now have to give lawmakers an annual report on weapons loss and security under the National Defense Authorization Act. The Associated Press AWOL weapons investigation, and there's a hyperlink to that, showed military officials were not advising Congress even as guns and explosives con continued to disappear. To meet those reporting requirements, the military is modernizing how it accounts for its millions of firearms and mountains of explosives. Pentagon officials have said they can account for more than 99.9% of firearms and take weapons security very seriously. Still, when the AP published its first report on missing firearms in June, General Mark Milley, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, said he would consider a systemic fix. The new system uses an existing software system called Vantage to give commanders a real-time look at what is unaccounted for. Again, 
an, a unit that loses weapons, that's not a small deal. I, I And so I don't get that somehow or other, unless there's orchestrated organized crime hits on trains that are moving, then that's something different. But if it's inside the military that we're losing, losing stuff, I mean, that is, those are court-martial offenses. The Pentagon reluctantly shared the statistics it collected, which Milley's office has provided to Capitol Hill. The official numbers are lower than what the Associated Press reported, but also incomplete because some services failed to include stolen weapons as documented by the military's own criminal criminal investigators. The number of missing, lost, or stolen firearms is approximately 1,540 from 2010 through this past summer, according to Lieutenant Colonel Uriah Orland, a spokesman for the Office of the Secretary of Defense. So this is number of firearms lost or stolen. So that's about, what, 1,500 over 10 years. That's 150 a year. The majority have been recovered. That total compares with 2,000 firearms that the AC, AP reported from 2010 to 2020. A tally was, that was based on the military's own data, blah, 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 blah. Then they, they talk about the discrepancies. The Marines decided that any weapon that vanished in a combat zone didn't count. Even in cases, for example, when a rifle fell from a vehicle or an aircraft or disappeared from living quarters on overseas bases. Their total for unaccounted firearms since 2010 was 31. Now, you know what? And again, I don't care if the Associated Press likes that, but I, I don't. What we're really concerned about would be if we're losing firearms domestically. And for, over the course of 10 years, 31 firearms. That's three a year, okay, over the course of 10 years. So is this overstated? In June, the Associated Press reported the Army could account for more than 1,500 weapons. Most of that total derived from internal Army memos that said 1,300 rifles and handguns were lost or stolen between 2013 and 2019. The Army had said the memos could include duplications and combat losses, which the AP excluded when known. So I think these numbers have to be refined a little bit. So I think the approach the Marine Corps took was right in terms of, hey, vehicles that vanish in uh, or weapons that vanish in combat are not what we're talking about. We're talking about domestic loss of firearms so that would be your internal control and what you're doing about it so now the army is three times the active duty army is about three times the size of the active duty marine corps not quite three times so if the marine corps is losing three a year the army should be allowed to, to lose nine a year and from what the associated press says they're losing 150 a year so I would want to see the footnotes on that. Not a good story. Okay. So, but let's get to the bottom of it. After evacuation, 
U.S. trained Afghan pilots want to return to the skies. Why not? Get them to the United States, put them to work. If they can fly, let's get them certified. Hawaii hearing over tainted Navy water ends without a ruling. A hearings officer expected to issue a recommendation early next week on whether the Navy has to comply with Hawaii's order to empty fuel from a massive storage tank facility blamed for contaminating Pearl Harbor drinking water. So, who was the hearing officer? Who is presiding? The United States Navy is contesting an order by the, the State Department of Health for the state of Hawaii to suspend the facility's operations and empty the underground tanks after tests in recent weeks detested, detected petroleum in the Navy's tap water system. Hearings officer David Day listened to hours of testimony and arguments into Monday night as the Navy tried to convince him that the emergency order isn't necessary while the state, along with the Sierra Club of Hawaii, and Honolulu's water utility argued the tanks posed an imminent peril. The Red Hill Storage Facility houses 20 giant fuel tanks that were built near Pearl Harbor in the 1940s. It supplies fuel to all branches of the military in Hawaii and has been the site of a series of leaks in recent years. The tanks sit 100 feet, 30 meters, above an aquifer that normally supplies one quarter of urban Honolulu's water. Ruh-roh. Craig Jensen, an attorney representing the Navy, said in his closing statement on Tuesday that the Navy already suspended operations until the investigation is complete. That's not what everybody else wants. They want the tanks emptied. They want the leaking stopped. So we'll see what the state of Hawaii rules. And then it'll be appealed. Um, Pentagon IG will investigate management of Hawaii fuel storage facility at the center of this water crisis. So that in the news. Overseas operations. Putin blames West for tensions, demands, security guarantees. So the ongoing um, escapade on the... Ukrainian border. Israel was involved in the U.S. drone strike that killed Soleimani, ex-Intel chief says. What? This is an Associated Press story. Israel's former military intelligence chief says the country was involved in the American airstrike that killed Iranian General Soleimani in January 2020. It is the first public acknowledgement of Israel's role in the operation. A week after the airstrike, NBC News reported that Israeli intelligence helped confirm the details of Soleimani's flight from Damascus to Baghdad. Earlier this year, a Yahoo News report stated that Israel, quote, had access to Soleimani's numbers and gave that intelligence to the United States. Major General Tamir Hyman, the now-retired general who headed military Israel's military intelligence until October appears to be the first official to confirm Israel's involvement.
quote, assassinating Soleimani was an achievement since our main enemy, in my eyes, are the Iranians, Hyman told the magazine. He said there were two significant and important assassinations during my term as head of Army Intelligence. The first, as I've already recalled, is that of Soleimani. It's rare to locate someone so senior who is the art architect of the fighting force, the strategist, and the operator. It's rare. Heyman called Soleimani, quote, the engine of the train of Iranian enrichment, in, I'm sorry, entrenchment in neighboring Syria. Heyman said that Israeli airstrikes had succeeded in preventing the attempt by Iran to put down roots in Syria. Interesting. Interesting, eh? Yep. Japan agrees to um, paying more money for hosting U.S. forces over the next five years. That's a good thing. Uh, another story by Reuters. No walkover. Ukraine could extract high price for any Russian attack. That is a look at the weather. I'm sorry. That is a look at the news today. So without further ado on a Wednesday, yeah, uh, Tim Lynch is going to join me and we're going to have a bit of a conversation. So without further ado, Timothy Lynch. All right. Joining me on Wednesday is Tim Lynch by himself. Jeff Kenny has work obligations. Will probably can't get his sorry ass out of bed because he's up late um, doing what he does, fleecing retirees of their pension. Might have taken a beating. Might have taken a beating too. You know right? Yeah, he just can't can't face the the light of day. So for whatever reason, Will's not with us. Tim Lynch joins me from McAllen. Give me a weather report on McAllen, Tim. <laughs> Uh, sunny, about 70 degrees right now. We'll go up to 80 during the day, get down to 55 or so at night. It is it is the reason why South Texas is popular is this time of the year. It's just gorgeous. Not a cloud, just a few clouds in the sky. And we're in the middle of the broadtail hawk migration. So in the afternoon, you'll see kettles, which is like hundreds of hawks, a collection of them going around in a circle and they'll get all together. And what they what they're doing is they're rising on the heat waves and they're generating a little bit of extra lift with that, with the, by going around and around kind of fast, and it pushes them way up about 12, 15,000 feet, and they can coast a long way without flapping their wings. It's an energy conservation move, and it's cool to watch because it takes a while for the kettle to start going, but once they get going, man, it's like wild. I got some tape of it, but it's, it just looks like dots. It, there's no, it's hard because it's off an iPhone, you know? You, you need to get yourself a drone. Yeah, oh, and become, wouldn't that be cool? And become part of the kettle. Wouldn't that be something? I wonder if anybody's tried that yet. I bet they have. But what yeah, if you, it's pretty, would pretty it, popular looking at kettles down here. It's a huge birding area. Would it compromise the kettle? I don't know how they would react to a drone. Those things are kind of noisy. They're obviously not, not uh, something that birds have been used to seeing. I, I don't know. I would expect it would freak them out. But, uh, but who knows? Get a small enough one. I think that would still be disturbing to the to the kettle. Yeah. Are are you a bird watcher? And, and I, I I am now. Ever since I found out that uh, E. B. Sledge was a, was a, a big time ornithologist, 
I figured, well, I want to take up a hobby or a hobbit from, you know, a, a, a hobby, excuse me, a yeah. habit, a hobby and habit yeah, together. Or a it's hobbit. Funny. You wouldn't want to yeah, pick up yeah. a hobbit either. Uh, I want to, no, I want to pick up a hobby, you know, that, that <laughs> a, ha- a respectable habit. And as I'm in the bird birding uh, a mecca of the of the United States, yeah, I've I've taken to uh, I can identify most of the birds around here, and I can understand most bird behavior from from reading the Audubon sites, and and I can hear when really? I hear calls. I, yeah, for instance, like the screech owl. We got that screech owl couple that that were trying that my neighbor's trying to coax into 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 a house he built for him, but they don't screech. They twirl and they're super quiet. And if you sit out back at night, you can hear the male twirling to the female trying to coax her into that birdhouse because once he gets in, her in, in there and she accepts it, it's a done deal. He's got uh, he's got mating privileges. But they're working hard at it for weeks now. And it's twirling, though, not screeching. I don't know why they call screech out, screech out, because they're real stealthy birds. Speaking of sludge, um. Mike Marletto, who's living in Australia right now this time of year, um, sent me this. Mac, great video with an interview of Henry Sledge, E.B. Sledge's son. I know you mentioned talking to one of his sons. Henry seems to indicate that he's available to talk on podcasts and do radio interviews. It's an hour and 28 minutes long to me. Wow. I uh, I will send you this link. Um, yeah, no. Oh, inshallah, he's an interesting kid. That's a uh, because God knows his dad was a fascinating fellow. Yeah, yeah. The um, I wanna. <clears throat> I don't know if we should, if I should ask you about a couple news stories. Why do you think in post-traumatic winning, I use, I use a term called mental fitness, right? And because I don't like the word mental health. Because it it connotes to me a ward in a hospital that I don't really want to go to, but um, mental fitness. I'm into my physical fitness, right? Uh, why would I not be into my mental fitness? Well, I should be. I never really was. It's just my brain, and as a leader, my primary contribution to the event. But why do you think the military struggles in this fight? And again, and then once you realize. Uh, who we attract into the military, mm-hmm. and that once we went to the all volunteer force, the percentage of people looking—and you've been a recruiter—the percentage of people joining the military to get out of a bad situation, a bad family life, a bad neighborhood where a lot of crime and drugs—I mean, that proportion of the American military goes up. So you understand where you're drawing from. Then you understand how they're schooled, and and. And I've said this before, and I'll say it again today. Uh, having just had a daughter who graduated from high school, if I told you what the world must look like by the way Colleen was educated, I would tell you that uh, the world really cares about your feelings. The world really doesn't care what you produce as long as you think you tried hard. The world doesn't care what you look like or doesn't care about your manners. And the world is willing to wait on you when you show up and when you're willing to get around to doing something. And the problem is the world is nothing like that. And so they come from this background, they're educated in this system, and they come into the American military. And we seem to struggle with the idea, here's a headline in Stars and Stripes. NDAA, which is the National Defense Authorization Act, provision offers troops confidential access 
to mental health care, a measure to give service members easier and more confidential access to mental health care by allowing them to use a safe word was included in the annual defense spending bill that now awaits President Joe Biden's signature. Now, my question is, why is somebody having to do this on the down low, right? If you understand right, where they come from, you understand how they're educated, and then they're excreted into the world, and then, they're, and then they come into the world of the military, why are we having to do mental fitness on the down low? I, I just to me, it's just this struggle with, um, I don't know. And after all this discussion, after 20 years of war, why, why do you think we're still fucking around with this? I, I, I think it's because when we came up, things were a little bit worse. It was a simpler time, if, I, if that's grammatically, grammatically correct. But in that, with, with, with a very limited options on TV, the, 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 the general narrative of what's happening in the world were a set of agreed upon facts. They they didn't deviate by 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 news stations much. We may not have been being fed the absolute unvarnished truth by our news agency, but we all had the same story. We agreed on our founding. We agreed on where we were. We did not agree on the Vietnam War, as Americans have never agreed on any war ever. Never never has a war been popular outside of World War II, and that was touch and go for a while with the German population. So. You've got a more complex environment in which you're 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 bringing these kids out, and at the same time that we've layered complexity onto everything, we've has this this tyranny of the credentialed experts. Now you have been talking for four or five years now about the inadequacies, as witnessed by you and by everybody that we've talked to and over our our careers about this particular issue, the inadequacies of credentialed professional mental health. That it's not the answer, but well, we and, and still again, seem to be going and, down the same route. That's and again, what we're doing. I think they're trying as hard as they can, mm-hmm. right? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They mean well. Everybody means well. And but if you look at the data, if you're not concerned with output, then I guess the system is good because everybody thinks they're doing the right thing. But if you're at all a results, you know, oriented organization, you can't look at the the data. The army, army suicide went up forty six percent last night. Last year, I know I, I, I saw that in the news. It's the, the year before again, Air Force, a problem, the year before a Air Force suicide went up thirty three percent. Yeah, a, a Marine, su- Marine suicide went up twenty eight percent. Well, 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 we you can footnote that by saying that suicide rate in general went up because of the COVID restrictions. I believe that's one of the things. No, that you but need it didn't. This is what makes it worse. In 2020, suicide in the country went down six percent. No shit. Yeah. So what Super. you have uh, in in the overall active component, I think, was an increase of eight percent, and I think that number went up after the army released its numbers. But let's just say it's eight percent. You have a delta of fourteen percent between, right? The, the general population, it goes down 6%, and the uniquely qualified, hand-selected, less than 1%, suicide goes up 8% in the 8.3% in the active component and 25.1% in the reserves. Wow. What the fuck? So, so the, the population reacts to us to COVID as if it's an ex- existential threat. 
Because you know, remember from bombing of, of Britain to the bombings in Germany to the bombings of Japanese, bombing people only makes them a little bit tougher. Right. It doesn't it doesn't increase mental disabilities. It decreases them significantly as everybody comes together to fight a threat. So the population feels like it's battling an existential threat, and the military obviously does not. That's that's rather strange. That would be peculiar. One would think there's probably some kind of systemic problem in there, and Jesus, if we couldn't find a fix. Well, but again, I, I'll, I'll offer you, and, and you can give me your thoughts. I'll offer you a, a hypothesis. <clears throat> we deal with a subset of the population that has a higher propensity for trauma, and, I, and I'll illustrate it like this. Um, the enlisted component is 82% of the active workforce. It's 92% of the suicide. Why is suicide uh, disproportionately enlisted? Because officers go to college and they're smarter and therefore don't want to kill themselves? And I say no, because if you meet anybody who joins the American military, they're clearly capable of going to college. So it has nothing to do with the intellectual component. On the enlisted side, and I would, I would, offer, I would ask you to look at this as a recruiter, what you would see is a greater incidence of trauma in that population. And that is why I would say in the Marine Corps, probably north of half of the Marines that are joining are joining looking for a way out of something, right? Yeah, and, 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 no, that's right. And so if you look at the population as have a, having a higher incidence of trauma to it, I would offer that as a footnote, as a possible explanation into the way it acts reacted that, to this situation that that was one of the reasons why i never let my guys recruit women i i would i would put them in if they came in and, and worked at it hard enough but it, it it was a well-known fact even back in recruiting school when i go 95 96 something like that uh, that a vast majority of the women coming in had been uh um victimized at some point in their lives. We didn't have those stats on men. I don't think they, I, I for whatever no, reason, the, 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 it the, the it survey that I saw, the first one I ever saw, and it deals with adverse childhood experiences. Right, right. Right, yeah. And but again, if I asked you, Timmy, how many guys in your platoon when you were a lieutenant were quiet, you knew they had come from tough circumstances, right, just quiet, really, really tough kids and did talk a lot about, you know, anything. You know, yeah. we had we all had them in our platoons, and so so on the male side, we just didn't talk about it, right? Right, right. And yeah. and that's always been a component of the Marine Corps: getting the fuck out of town. Well, why? Physically abusive. And again, to me, the the great one, one of the great epiphanies of doing this for speaking in public for three years now is the amount of sexual abuse in the Marine Corps. And when I say that, everybody assumes I'm talking about women. And I say, I'm not. I'm talking about mm -hmm. the men. Right? And it's sitting in this yep. room right now. And I would tell you, my own, my own estimate would be probably 20% of the men sitting in this room have been sexually assaulted at some point in their life. Yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't doubt that at all. I, I wouldn't be surprised if it was higher. Right, right. Yeah. And so, but the first I, I ever saw was a University of Rochester uh, in New York. Department of Psychiatry survey of the all men in the all-volunteer force, and it says 47% reported emotional abuse in their home, 34% reported alcohol abuse in their home, 
27% reported domestic violence in their home. 12% reported somebody was incarcerated, lived in my home. And 11% said I was touched sexually in my own home. 25% said four more of these categories apply to me. Mm. Okay. So now <clears throat> when I do post-traumatic winning for Marines, I'll look out and say, all right, if that's DOD wide, do you think those numbers are higher, lower, or the same for Marines? And what do you think I hear every time I ask that question? Higher. Exactly. Higher. They, they, yeah. Every audience says higher. Why? I said, well, let me give you a reason. We're the destination for tough guys, right? We're the mm -hmm. destination for tough girls. Why does a little kid that wanted to be a cowboy or an astronaut yesterday want to be a tough guy today? And we all know why. Because mm -hmm. life requires it. And if you don't, if you don't become tough, you're going to be somebody's bitch. You're going to be roadkill. You're going to be something. So we have been a destination forever for tough guys. We've also been a destination for people that maybe failed to be as tough as they wanted to, and they want to learn to be tougher, right? They've got an inner tough guy or an inner tough girl in them, and they didn't do as well as they wanted to. But they know if they join the Marine Corps, I'll learn. They'll make me tougher. And so that's who we. That's that, those are our people. And I tell everybody, so standing in those uniform, in those good-looking uniforms with that, those short haircuts in those formations is a shit ton of trauma, and we don't know it. Because if we knew it, we would lead them different. Mm -hmm. and, and so to me, once you begin to peel that back, and so, but we don't, and I think the reason that we should collect that data, and to me, you, do it, you would do it unanimously. I don't need your name. I don't need anything identifying about you other than these things. Where did you come from? What gender are you? What race are you? Where would you say you were in the socioeconomic sphere? Upper, middle, lower? Okay. And then which of these apply to you? Click, check, check, check. Throw it in a pile and walk away. And then what you take that data and you give it to your leaders and you say, all right, everybody, in your formation is this. And I think it, people's jaw would hit the floor. Right, and and I, I played a little audio from General, an interview with General Neller, and he said ninety percent of our suicide, they've never even deployed. Yeah, he said, how do you? Yeah. How, he says, how do you make sense of that? Well, you can't make sense of it if the institutional perspective is we kill ourselves because of what we see on deployment and in contingency operations. Yeah, well, yeah, that kind of trauma, right? Yeah, what happens if that's not the case, and it's not? Right, mm -hmm. it's not. So you take somebody yeah. who grows up in that environment, who's educated and given very bad life skills, you know, coping skills and how to overcome adversity skills because it's never their fault now. It's the school's fault, it's the teacher's fault, it's the coach's fault, right? So they don't know how to come, overcome adversity. And then you kick them out into the real world. And then to make matters worse, and we were talking about this the other day, they, go, they come in the Marine Corps. Go get through recruit training. We've added two extra weeks to help them adjust, blah, 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 blah. And then they go into a barracks where the staff and COs don't dominate that anymore. Who dominates it? The charismatic Lance Corporal who's banging on their hatch at zero two in the morning and playing stupid games with them. Yeah. yeah. And now how do I cope with that? And now my girlfriend leaves me and, you know, and you can see how it goes. So, but again, into that world, we are still having to, you know, and again, I say mental fitness because most of the people 
that killed themselves, they don't have a serious mental illness. They've just gotten their asses kicked by life and they don't see a way through it. And you hear them say shit like, I just can't do it anymore. I'm tired and I don't give a fuck. You know? That's, that's a, a, profound, a profound dose of, profession, of depression is an extraordinarily uncomfortable thing. So when you talk about people having suicidal ideations, I can see why people would do that because I have spent a little bit of time in, in a profound depressive state and it's, it's soul killing. It's, it's horrible. You know? and, and, and again, what I want to do is I want to get my, I don't, it's not an exacto knife, but I want to draw a line. Being diagnosed as clinically severely depressed is different than having mm-hmm. life roll on you for years, right? And having all this layer of all these layers of shit on top of you that you don't know how to deal with, and you're overcome by symptoms of depression. Right. Just, right. I hope everybody understands. There's a clinical There's a medical difference. Di- difference, and I think the the vast majority of, of people that I deal with are dealing with the layers and layers and layers, and that's what you were dealing with, of yeah, shit. No, there's no doubt. There's, there's no doubt. And, and the thing is, clinically uh, a diagnosed profound depression, you should be in a hospital. Right. I, when, I was, when I was struggling with that in Utah and I was on recruiting duty, quite frankly, I was afraid that if I went in and confessed to a physician exactly what I was feeling, that I'd be hospitalized. And I, and I didn't want to do it. So I tried to gut my way through it, and my performance, of course, suffered. Um, the, uh, but again, Tim, yeah, that's a huge deal. And you know, I mean, yeah. you know how how many people are in that pile with you, right? Yeah. Everybody, yeah, yeah. everybody faking it because, yeah, I know they say it's okay to go to mental health, but I know it's not true, and I'm not going, right. and I'm not going. Sure. But again, I that's why I think the term I like the word mental the term mental fitness. Right, I like that too. Because look, there's nothing wrong with you. I didn't know. And, and, I mean, it's literally, it's ignorance. I didn't. These coping skills. You know what my coping skill was? Suck it the fuck up, the same as yours. So if yeah, you yeah. If, if you look at me as a room, inside the room, the thing that made me strong, that helped me cope, was a little placard in that inverted V shape that you would find at a seminar, and it said, "Suck it the fuck up." And I did it till I couldn't do it anymore. And now I look at myself. All the things that people have taught me, um, how how to meditate, and I'm not good at it, but I can do it a couple times a day for about two to three minutes, right? How to take a breath and interrupt my desire to fucking choke somebody in Home Depot, spit it out, and then go get the duct tape I'm supposed to get, right? How how physical fitness, half for my brain, half for my body. I, exactly. I don't I don't fake it with my friends, which leads to conversation. And if you consider every one of these a fucking pillar in this room, that's five pillars. And then the whole thought of journaling, write, articulate, you know, and, and I'm not great at it. I tend to draw more pictures, you know, and diagrams and shit than I do, you know, dear diary stuff. But my point to everybody is make it yours. If that's what works for you. But when you empty your head, when you empty a problem and you begin to mess with it and it's, you put it on paper, I think you begin to push it down the road a little bit. But my point is, those are six pillars that are in my room now. And what used to be in my room is that sign that said, suck the fuck up. And that's mental fitness. Those are skills everybody should have. But we stay away from that motherfucker, right? 
We don't want to, hey, we don't want to. The only people that are going to go there are the people that need to go there. That's a sign of weakness. So fuck it. I ain't going there. And it's just, to me, it's, you, the military's got to find a way to get beyond that because ultimately at the organizational level, what this is, it's about lethality. Stronger human being, stronger Marine, more lethal battalion, more lethal regiment, more lethal division, more lethal the Marine Corps. But it starts with making them stronger human beings. And for whatever reason, we can't figure it the fuck out. I, I'll say this before. I said this before, and I, I want to say it again. I thought I was a great platoon commander because I knew my Marines individually, but my knowledge of them was only as Marines. I had no interest in their childhood. I had no interest in what the hell they were doing outside of the Marine Corps. I was very interested in their performance as Marines, and I thought I knew my guys pretty well. Then I get a suicide, and this was in 1998. No, very rare, and it was a squad yeah. leader. It wasn't, wasn't, I'm sorry, I was the XO. It wasn't one, I was not a platoon commander at the time. Squad leader, it turns out, was being seen at base psychiatry for horrendous sexual abuse as a child. We had no idea. All we knew is he was at a hospital appointment. He was going to come back. We we're going to draw a weapon out of the armory. And when the uh, when the company gunny came back to the rear because we were in the field, we'd pick him up and take him out. And he drew the army. He drew his weapon and went home and, and killed himself. And we were and we were pissed at the medical guys, we're like, well, how come we didn't know that he was struggling with this? We might have done something different than letting him by himself grab a weapon and come on out to the field. We had no idea. We were we were pissed at the at the medical guys, and the medical guys said, yeah, we're never going to tell you that shit, and blah, blah, blah. Where that conversation is now, I don't know. But I've seen a solution from this crazy Marine Corps major who pulls his class out of his ass because his buddy asked him to, and that's been working, Mac, and, I, and I've said this ever since you started it, you've got the solution. And the solution delivers a better, more competent war fighting platoon because now, you know, second lieutenant dumb shit who thinks because he knows all his military guys, military careers, now he's investing a little bit of time in getting to know them. And so instead of like, like you're, you're, you're in the field and I would rotate new guys up uh, with the radio and say, okay, we're going to do call for fire. I'm going to teach you how to do this. Instead of doing that, you rotate them up and say, "Hey, man, so how was your child? Tell me what's going on with you. How, what, yeah. what, what you, what are you about?" Because I didn't know my guys from Adam any except for in their abilities and identities as Marines. Because it was all I was interested in, and I was wrong. Can you and, can, and you, can, you, can you imagine if you could go back and do it again now? Oh shit! I would. Good God, man, are you kidding me? Because I had good platoons and good rifle companies. And I know they could have been so much better had I spent more time concentrating on them. I thought I was doing an adequate job. I was doing, you know, I mean, well, shit, you, Mac, Dave Furness, you know, Jeff Kennedy, for God's sakes, and Will, we all had platoons and companies and battalions who liked us. We were all of us effective leaders, all of us, but none of us were focused where we ought to have been focused. We weren't, we we're developing them professionally when we should have been developing them for the rest of their lives, yeah. not just to make make corporal, not per, just yeah. to make sergeant, yeah. Developing and, and developing them as people and being, I mean, honestly, it's so- Because we owned them. If we you owned look them. At, Those fucking kids we owned, we, we could dictate, we could pull their ID cards when they're on ship and they couldn't go on liberty. We controlled their whole fucking lives and we made them better. 
that are war fighters for sure. We could have made them better people. And we did, I think, you know, indirectly, but not intentionally. But not, yeah, uh, but not to the extent that we could have. And, and so to me, yeah. that's, that's the opportunity here is, is, is the better human being thing. Right. And, right. um, and so, and, and, you know, we, we were talking about this thing called the barracks war. You know, the solution to the barracks war is to have staff and COs that know that that are the person that this person joined to meet when they thought about the Marine Corps. Mm -hmm. Right. I'm going to meet these leaders and I haven't had a parent like that in my life. I haven't had a coach or a teacher like this in my life. I'm going to meet them and then they don't meet them. And then, then you're adrift. You're playing Lord of the Flies up in the barracks. And so to me, you, I mean, we don't have to go back to the days of staff and COs dominating the gray area with a heavy hand. You don't need to dominate it with a heavy hand. And so the next question is, well, would they talk to you? And I asked that to the battalion commander of 28 because they did it and uh, they, they grabbed this and kind of ran with it. And I, his name's Tom Sievert. He's a colonel now. And I think he's going to take over the 11th Mew. But anyway, <clears throat> Tom's a pretty, he's a great guy. And he's a huge fan of All Marine Radio. And he said, uh, so I called him up and I said, hey, I have a question for you. And he said, yeah. And I said, will Marines talk to you about this shit? And he chuckled. He said, let me tell you what my sergeant's counsel says. They won't shut the fuck up. When we, <laughs> when we go down this road with them, we're in there for a couple hours. And he said, and Mac, he said, it's embarrassing. They've been waiting for us to go there with them. And we just never did it because we didn't think you know, we were into pros and cons and performance counseling and all that kind of shit. Yeah, yeah. What's this got to do with killing people? Right. I got you. Right. And so, yeah. two eight. I can't remember which which mu they they were a part of a couple of years ago in 2019. It might have been 2020, but anyway, they go on a no libo COVID med float. Ooh. Exactly. No libo. Oh. In the med. Oh yeah, but they got. Two beers after thirty days. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. a lot of base libo, <laughs> a lot of a uh, lot of uh, uh, field meats. The meds got some nice towns. Too. Oh my god! Uh, so, two eight comes home and breaks the division record for reenlistments and extensions coming off a float. And he and he, and he gets asked. No shit. And he gets asked, "What the fuck? How did this? How could this be?" Yeah. And he says we changed the dynamic in the uh, in the battalion based on this. And so I tell this story. I'm talking shit about two eight. Uh, doing this at Cherry Point this past January, I think, or no, maybe it was in September. And the battalion commander or the battalion sergeant major, who was a battalion sergeant major, um, yeah, it was in September of two eight, was in the audience. He was with Second Ma now working and he comes up to me and he says hi hey mac i'm sergeant major johnson he said i was he said i was a uh, colonel sievert's sergeant major and his fucking chest is like pop but he's like popping all the buttons i'm like how much did you love that shit and he's laughing he goes he goes it's all true though that's the best part is it's all true yeah and uh and so and so it, it again I, to go back to this, now you've got to say some special words to get somebody to help you with your mental fitness. I'm struggling. And, and I, I just, it's like, come on, man. 
we, we can be better. And again, but my point to everybody is our staff and COs, I think, have to lead the way on this about mental fitness. They have to be the people that sit down and look at everybody and say, hey, I want to talk to you today about about meditation. And let me, But before we do that, let me tell you about me, how I grew up. And could you imagine they're sitting there in a group of 35 Marines, and all of a sudden your staff and CO starts telling you about getting beaten as a child, getting abused as a child. You're sitting there, right, going, holy shit, I had no idea. And what does that spawn in you? Well, maybe I could talk to him or her, right? You begin to view them in a different way. All right, let's talk about meditation. Anybody here do this? And there will be always a couple cerebral dudes in the platoon that will put their hands up. And they'll begin to give their PhD, right, dissertation on their thoughts on meditation. Everybody else is like looking around. And then you have just have this discussion about it, right? But what you do is you normalize the discussion about what it is to be mentally fit and why it's important to this, this pressure-packed world that we live in where you are going to deliver. There's no question about that. The only question is how much blood we're going to spill when we deliver. That's the world that we live in. We don't live in a world where we can put our hand up and say, sorry, we can't make that timeline. Oh, you're fucking going, right? And so we live in that world, and it just doesn't seem like all the things we want to do parallel the civilian world too much. We want to medicate you. We want to send you to therapy. And if you look at the data, that doesn't work. Okay, so what works? And I, I honestly, I, I do think that post-traumatic winning is 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 the path. It it works. Oh, I, no, there's no question in my it, mind. It works, and and those of us who have led in that realm, again, if you can peel off the people that don't have a serious mental illness, which is 98.2 percent of the military, from the people, as you said, that do in fact somehow or other get in, and 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 will be diagnosed with clinically severe depression, a medical condition. If you can peel those out and we can deal with the 98, 99%, then guess what? We win. We fucking win. And that, yeah. uh, so, so. And and at the same time, producing more cohesive units oh. capable, of gener- capable of generating much more combat power. Exactly. That, without 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 a doubt. And it, yeah, the, the, the thought of going back with what you know now and doing it again is just, it's like night and day. Oh, no, I say that. I yeah. say that. From, I said if I could do this again, and I thought I was pretty good. Oh, I thought if, so too. If yeah. I thought if I could do this again today, I would fucking kill it. I know, and I wasn't like lacking confidence as a, as a as an infantry commander. I had plenty. I yeah. was I was a very confident man. But I think back now, and I'm th- and I'm thinking, dude, you missed you missed it. This is shit you should have seen, and you didn't. I'm not the only one that didn't see it. No, no, mind. no, none of it's us. It's right there in front no. of their face now. You've got, you've got. I don't, I don't want to go pumping up the post-traumatic winning and, and making it. Well, but, but let me tell you this: but it's frustrating we, that you're not getting more traction. Well, I mean, all, I'll I, say it. I think it's it takes. I think it takes time, and yeah. um, to knock down a whole series of barriers, um, and but we um, made anecdotal differences in people's life who either came up to us, wanted to talk to us, maybe. Young Marines that were our drivers, young Marines we had more contact with, got to know us a little bit better. Right, right. Imagine, operators. Right. Imagine if that was a template for the way you did business with everybody. 
that you had exactly. that instead of having it on, you know, a half a dozen Marines, you had it on 150 Marines in your company because you and your subordinates knew them like that. And then you're setting reenlistment records because this is what they came in to find. I came in mm -hmm. to find that guy. I came in to find that girl, th those kind of people as leaders. And yet, as you and I are saying, it just, it, you know, we started out with proficiency in conduct. And I could tell you a lot about Nick Radiff. I could tell you what, what allotments he had. I could tell you his home record. I could tell exactly. you, you know, how many kids in his family. You know, I could tell you um, what his last PFT was. I could tell you what his GCT is. Um, I still have all that. I could, I still have all that information in my platoon commander notebooks that are sitting here in my bookcase. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> we all do. Yeah, we all right? do. I could tell uh -huh. you all that. But did I know his story, right? And the only way, and, and I had a couple of Marines uh, off the top of my head. One was a big guy, and he had a drinker problem. And uh, his name was Cliff Turner. I probably shouldn't say his name, but he, I mean, when I say big, he's probably like six foot four and probably weighed 280 pounds, but he's not a fact. He's, he's just a, he's yeah. a large guy and he hardly said a word. And he's a, Oh, you know, and then you found out like, yeah, he grew up kind of tough. And, um, and, and then they would tell me what he was like when he was drinking. You can't, you, he's uncontrollable. And, yeah. And so, and then there was a, we had a corporal by the name of Hernandez and he was a really quiet kid and he was yoked up too. And when corporal Hernandez says, they called him Herc for Hercules, right? When, when Herc said something, motherfuckers jumped because corporal, corporal Hernandez was a no fuck around motherfucker, but they never said a word. And I think back to those guys now. And I thought, what caused that? You know, what caused that? And I, could you have made a difference in their lives? And I think back about, I just didn't know that, you know, I didn't have the tools. Nobody had sat me down and said, hey, you know, Mac, you, when you get a chance, do these things. And, and you're going you're gonna to change lives. And that's what we're supposed to do. I, I had, a, I had a, a, a kid... I got a picture of my, my company. We had a mess night when I turned over the company and they gave me a shotgun. And I got a picture of the, of the boys giving me a shotgun. And one of them is a Lance Corporal's got a hash stripe on, on his, uh, his alphas already, right? So he's, you know, he's I six explained years everybody, Explained everybody the hash. Yeah, so that, that would indicate that this particular Marine had done his four-year enlistment honorably and, uh, and, and was on his fifth or sixth or seventh year. In his case, it was his sixth year. That means six years, uh, E3, he should have been about an E5, a sergeant. <laughs> He'd been having problems. And it wasn't that he was a shitbag. It wasn't that he was stupid. It was drinking. And, um, and, he, and he, the, the event that culminated his, his short Marine Corps career was returning from alcohol rehab and, and propositioning an Air Force nurse rather blatantly. And, um, and I, 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 all, the best I could do with him is get him out with a general discharge. I didn't, he did, we didn't give him bad paper. You know, we didn't, and I, and I kept him with me in the field because he was particularly useful for finding lost platoons and stuff. The guy's instincts were right on. If I told him, go find fucking second platoon and bring him back here, he'd find him. He was, he was remarkable. And, and I, 
in communication with him today. He's got a family. He uh, does not drink. He's been working the oil fields of North Dakota. But the fact that I, as an officer, never gave up on him um, was something that he said that ultimately saved his ass. You never know what those impacts are. Because I don't recall being that particularly affectionate with the young man. I liked him a lot because he was but again, a nut. But again, but, if you would have you know, known. I, wasn't, I was hard on him. No, if you would have known where he came from. Right? I had no idea. And, right. and then how he gets to you, you become something in his life. And I tell a story in post-traumatic winning about uh, coaching high school baseball. And I bring this kid into pitch, and he's a sophomore pitching in a varsity game, and he could throw, but he's scared shitless, right? He's never pitched it. And, he, and I, you, know, you can tell. So I hand him the ball. I look at him. I said, hey, you're going to do great. I believe in you. I know you can do it. And I walk up the mound. So I come to practice the next day. And he's waiting for me. Coach, can I talk to you? And um, and normally that means like his mother heard me say the F word on the odd chance I would say that. Or his dad's pissed that I'm uh, he didn't play enough, right? So one of the two. And I said, yeah, what's up? And he said, I just wanted to thank you for what you said to me yesterday. And I, well, no, but I, I look at him and I'm like, what did I say to you? I, don't, I didn't remember saying anything significant, right? And he said, well, you know when you gave me the ball on the mound and you looked at me and you said, I believe in you, I know you can do it? And I said, yeah, you were the only one who didn't know that. He said, coach, he said, I've never had a man uh, say something like that to me, let alone somebody like you. And I said, oh, shit. I said, what do you mean, let alone somebody like me? He said, well, I mean, you're on a city council, you know, you fought for this country. And, you know, you don't realize how powerful those words are, right, to say to somebody young, I believe in you, I know you can do it, right? Because we don't think about where they come from. We, well, and most of the time we don't know it. And and the transformational power of those kind of words. But um, if, you, if you'll take the time to know them, right? Yeah. And, and then I play audio from General Mattis that talks about love your Marines, right? And he said, you know, if you want to know who pays the price for democracy, just go up to the rooms of Bethesda. PFC there, PFC there, Lance Corporal there, Sergeant there, Corporal there, Lieutenant there, you know, Staff Sergeant there. He said, it's those ranks, and those ranks pay the price. And he said, if you don't love them, then you need to get out. And I tell everybody, if he caught you not loving his Marines, he'd harpoon you to a— He'd harpoon you to a wall and leave your body there for a couple of days so everybody could see it because he knew that at some point they would pay your inability to do basic daily routine, uh, the discipline of cleaning weapons, the discipline of PMing vehicles, of PMing crew serves, of, of making sure the sandbags were good, the concertina was good. That lack of discipline of yours as a leader would get them killed. And he had no patience for it. So when he said love them, it meant something. And then I heard <clears throat> General Furness, Dave Furness, our friend, you know, he, he, upon hearing that, he says, and the key to that is knowing them. You can't help them if you don't know them. So the key mm-hmm. to all this lethality and all these dominoes is it's got to start with knowing them, right? And you've got to view post-traumatic winning as this tool for greater organizational lethality. And mm-hmm. if you'll do that, if you'll know that, if you'll if you'll know them, if you'll help them, you'll transform the organization, right? 
and you'll make it more lethal. And you'll transform them as human beings, which is, you know, another one of our jobs. Oh, that just reminded me of what Will said yesterday. You're talking about a, a, attacking a problem with a broad spectrum approach instead of putting capability on top of capability on top of capability, which is I've got a PhD who's also an MD who's also has this this great thing and, and he uses ayahuasca in a ceremony. Everybody feels better. Well, that's not really a solution to, to much of anything, right? Right. But, but you're talking about an approach that is the broad spectrum approach to solving a problem which, quite frankly, we didn't have to deal with as, as leaders in, in, our, in our time. I mean, that one suicide I had was so fucking out of the world. Nobody even knew what to say about right. it. It just didn't happen. Right. It was right. weird. Right. And now we got this problem. I, I, I just think that's a, that's a clever way of presenting it because you're now attacking the suicide problem by not attacking the suicide problem at all, by attacking something else, which is we didn't know our guys well enough. I thought I had some pretty lethal formations, but well, well, I did it but, again. But, if only I, if only I could go right. back and do it again, right. fuck, I would have been better. You right. know? No, I said the same thing, but yeah. <clears throat> I think what was different about us was, I think Marines probably came from the same dysfunctional um, world, families and stuff. I think the school system was better. There was yeah. more structure. You were held accountable more often, and because you were held accountable more often and our schools were not afraid to do discipline you had to learn the skill set of that's my fault i apologize right. i'll make it right because they didn't let you off the hook and so i think as school districts have become more nurturing more friendly i think kids come out without the coping skills that they need and and one of the things i say is you know can you imagine coming out of high school with that worldview that everybody cares about my feelings. And then you find yeah. out that, that none of it's true. And I say, go ahead and not make your car payment for five months and watch what happens. Four dudes with a video camera and a tow truck are coming for the bank's car. And go ahead and fuck with them in your front yard and watch what happens. They'll beat your ass and put the video on their YouTube channel and all your friends will make it go viral. That's how much the world gives a fuck about you. And then I say, it's like finding out there's no Santa Claus when you're 52. What? <laughs> like, when the fuck did this happen? And that's how we prepare young people. And then we're shocked that as life kicks their ass, that A, they move back into their parents' house, right? B, they click out of the workforce. Because it's not the way. What do you mean? Why didn't I get a raise? I went to work. Well, first of all, you weren't on time. Second of all, you didn't produce anything. That's why you didn't get a raise. Well, what does that have to do anything? <laughs> But again, when that, that's the world you've lived in, you can see, and it's just, uh, but again, the good news is that there's a way through it. There's a well, way through there's it. There's a way. There's, there's a way. I think also when we were, when we were younger, it, it was still by a vast majority of us considered a sin to, to kill yourself. Right. Well, we were much, sin. we were much more religious. Yeah. Much right? more, much, even if we don't, weren't regularly attending church, we're still, I consider myself a religious man of the book. I've said that to many, a. Uh, Many an Islamic person over the years. I'm a man of the book, but yeah, it, it, even so, it was certainly it, to this day. I I believe that. I don't I don't think that people who commit suicide are going to get treated in the afterlife like like those that don't. Oh, really? But, but who knows? Yeah. I don't know. I I, I I don't have any. I don't, I don't think that anymore. But that's knowledge. not that's not because I wasn't raised like that. Because yeah. in, in in the Catholic world, if, if you take your own life, you're going to hell. 
Oh yeah, yeah. I, and yeah. then, so when you think about that, well, you can think of some circumstances where this is bullshit. For instance, I'm on top of the World Trade Center, and there's a big, you know, fire licking at me, and I've got two decisions: I burn up or I jump. Is jumping really suicide in that? Because of no. my state, I was going to get. I was, you know. No, that's then not. you start, and that's and that's 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 when it's just better to say, "Hey, I believe in God. Jesus, leave me alone." Because <laughs> because you can't. When you start going down the path of, of dicing through these things, you can say, oh, okay, that's not suicide, but that's it. No, no, that's not what we're talking about. I, I, but, I mean, when I was, when we were kids, it wasn't even a discussion. It doesn't right. matter. Right. Suicide, yeah, going like the hell. No, it was like pagan, it's like pagan babies. We were raising money for pagan babies, and you got into this discussion <laughs> about what is a pagan baby? Well, it's a, you know, it's a non-believer. And, well, what happens to the pagan babies when they die? they haven't accepted Jesus and the only way to heaven is through Jesus, right? Well, that's true. So what happens to the pagan baby who doesn't have the opportunity, sister? Well, um, they're going to to hell. Come on, pagan babies. What about the Buddha? Pagan babies going to hell? Well, what about the people who never even have an opportunity? And so even as a young kid, right, you're like casting like the the people's eyebrow, the people's eyebrow at, at, you know, institutional Catholicism as it's brought to you as a four-year-old by a high school-educated nun in Sacramento, California, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And then the impact that, but again, but no, it was, it was like, yeah, I can't do that. That's that's against the rules. I have to sit here and suck this shit up. But so when you look at all that's changed, yeah, when you look at all that's changed in our society, um, we had kids that were tougher. And again, I'm not culture-hating because if we grew up now, we'd be exactly like them. If they grew up with us, they'd, they'd be like us. It is T- tougher and meaner. Right. Yeah, there was, uh, it did not take a lot to get yourself involved in a significant fist fight when I was young. It didn't take much. No, I mean, you consider. Nobody was backing down. We, yeah. When we came home from school, we got on our bikes and our instructions, mine were stay off the freeway, um, stay out of the creek, and be home when the streetlights come up. Uh, see, I didn't even get. I, I, I could, I could go into the creek. I lived on Williams Creek. I was good. Yeah, I, I had to be home when the, the street lights on. That's exactly it. I could still remember this peculiar whistle my mother would do that would carry for a good long ways. And you heard that you were. Are you, you kidding were, me? Yeah, your mom could. Your, your mom could whistle. Oh like yeah. That? Oh, she could whistle loud. Oh yeah, she was a rowdy teenager, no doubt. Yeah. Uh, that's those a- American people born in China are. <laughs> That's awesome. You know, I always wanted to learn how to whistle like that, but I never really mastered that art, and it's always yeah. bothered me. No, and, I'm not a very good whistler either. And here your mom could do it. The, uh, oh, yeah. I want to I talk Wizard of Oz a little bit with you. Because, uh, yeah, exactly. You sold me the conspiracy theory yesterday, and then I started reading, right? I started reading uh-huh. about the Wizard of Oz. I started reading about L. Frank Baum, the, the, the author. Uh-huh. And his family says vastly different things than you related what you related yesterday was a 1960s interpretation of the wizard of oz that became very popular okay but when when bomb's family talked about these things they were things in his life now he went west to the dakotas in the 1880s and it did turn out well so that's why the wicked witch is from the west right Things west are not what they appear to be, okay? 
And so the theme of there's no place like home is because he does go west. He does 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 go looking for things, and they turn out to not be what they were advertised to be. And much of what you relayed to me was was conspiracy theory stuff written in the 1960s. Now, so I want to ask you, you are not afraid of a conspiracy theory. No, no, I'm not afraid of a conspiracy theory I, at, at all. I don't I don't tend to give them much credence, but I wanted to explain the methodology of the professional podcasting guest. See? Because <laughs> Okay, hold because on, hold on. Let here, me let me substantiate this first of all. Right. So, and this is just Wikipedia stuff. So, so take it for what it's worth. Many decades after its publication, Baum's work gave rise to a number of political interpretations, particularly in regards to the 19th century populism movement in the United States. So, you can imagine me reading this, and guess what thought pops into my head? Fucking Timmy. In 1964, American Quarterly, uh, an American Quarterly article entitled The Wizard of Oz Parable on Populism. Educator Henry Littlefield posited that the book served as an allegory to the, you can look up both positive and allegory if you want to, for the late 19th century bimetallism debate regarding monetary policy. And then what does my brain say? Fucking Timmy. Littlefield's thesis achieved some support but was widely criticized for other. What does my brain say? Fucking Timmy. Other political interpretations soon followed. In 1971, historian Richard Jensen theorized the winning of the Midwest that Oz was derived from the common abbreviation for ounce used for denoting quantities of gold and silver. And then they postulate that um, that Rockefeller is one of the characters in The Wizard of Oz. Um, and But Bob says he was looking to name Oz, and he's in his file— in his files, he had a file that said O through Z. He said, and that's where Oz comes from. Right? He looked and said, I'll name it Oz. So anyway, go ahead. Give us the uh, in, give us the background of being a podcast guest. You're on mute, bro. Oh, man, I must, that must have been funny. I'm sitting here talking <laughs> with my hands and... It's it's like the, it's like that deaf guy that was interpreting for Obama in South Africa, you know, it's just flailing around. But my, my deaf brother loves that shit, by the way. Oh God, that's the funniest thing in the world to him. <laughs> but but going back to to preparing uh, for the thing, so I know that I've got to go deep. I know that you're taking this seriously. I can I know Jeff knows it in detail. I don't know what Will's going to do, but he doesn't need to do a whole lot. So you you war you war game this? No 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 no. It was eight. 27 yesterday morning i'm like what the f i don't know anything about the wizard of oz i type in is wizard of oz a commie plot because that's what my dad said boom no it doesn't the, all this shit comes up and i find one pdf that's got a big huge diagram that i can read real quick and i hit that thing and i bring it up at 8 29 and you call it 8 30. that's preparation man so when when i said it's an allegory of the populist movement. It's because two minutes ago, I found some bullshit on Google that could at least give me enough that I could keep my own with you guys until I figure out what I'm supposed to know, which is a technique I perfected as an entity <laughs> officer, quite frankly. So so I I, I now know so you don't I believe you're going to come back to this. <laughs> you don't believe I now know it. It could be populist. It could be a religious allegory, an atheist allegory, a feminist allegory. It could have something to do with Jung, 
the Jungian thing, a lot of people think that. And it could be about the inadequacy of adults or the gilded conspiracy theory. What the hell is that? Oz fans opposed to <laughs> theories of guilt of the good witch might actually be the true villain of Oz. Holy shit. I don't want to read that. So this is this is this is podcast guest preparation. So ah. I, I just like when you said we're not going to talk about uh, Ukraine. And I said, oh, shit, I've been studying that for days. That that that's when I when you say we're not going to talk about it and I come up with that, that's an instant indication. I I, I have nothing. Thank God we're not talking about it because wow. I'm scanning around looking for Ukraine things. Wow. Yeah. The, yeah um, so the scarecrow comes from his nightmares, right? And his really? Kids, Is that yeah, what he says? His kids talk uh, about he had this night. He used to have this nightmare where the scarecrow was chasing him, right? And uh, the uh, the uh, wood the the Tin Man comes from something that he built in a window display. That's where that guy damn. comes from. Um, no kid. Yeah, and so. I'm reading this, and um, it, it's, it's like giving these things that, like, the green goggles on the horses, uh, the green goggles went, that they put on when they get to Oz, right? He wrote a story in the Aberdeen, South Dakota, Saturday Pioneer, and he postulated that if farmers gave green goggles to horses during the drought, the horses could eat wood chips, Thinking they were pieces of grass, so it's a right. It's a, he uses it in a previous story. So you, oh my! Yeah, yeah. And so during Baum's short stay in Aberdeen, the dissemination of myths about the plentiful West continued. Now this gives rise to the theme that there's no place like home. However, the West, instead of being a wonderland, turned into being a wasteland of drought and depression. The after discovering that the myths about the West's incalculable riches were baseless, Baum created an extension of the American frontier in Oz. In many respects, Baum's creation is similar to the actual frontier, save for the fact that the West was still undeveloped at the time. The munchkins, Dorothy encounters, at the beginning of the novel represent farmers. Huh. Yeah. Because we never talked about the munchkins. And as as do the Winkies she meets later. I don't even know what is a Winky. I that that's new to me because I I put in the chat function that little Zen diagram that I was using. It doesn't address those two things, so I was staying away from them. What a <laughs> I never even heard of a Winky. I'm not right? sure what that is either. Hey, did you track down the silver shoes? I did not. Winkies from the Wizard of Oz. The Winkies were not at all brave people, but they had to do. But they had to do as the Wicked Witch pleased, so they marched away until they came near Dorothy and Toto. Oh, so the Winkies are the those uh, those guardsmen, non-monkey-type guardsmen? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what it's got to be, yeah. But I've never heard the term Winky before. I, I hadn't heard that either. The, the silver slippers, by the way, came from the Wicked Witch of the East. When she landed on top of her, before she, her body curled up, they took her stuff. The Glenda, the witch, gave her the silver shoes. That's where they came from. Right. But they were, and then they were replaced by the ruby shoes when she gets home. Yeah. No, she's wearing the ruby shoes when she's in Oz. So uh, when? Whenever. Yeah, so when, when does the when does the shoe when, transition take place? When 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 the house lands on the wicked witch of the east and kills her before we even met 
meet the wicked witch. But of the she, West so that's when she gets she the, gets the, the that's when, but that's when she gets the silver shoes or the ruby, right, or the ruby sh- red. Sh- so when do the silver shoes turn into ruby red slippers? I don't know. I, I, I don't. I don't know. It's not in my little diagram of knowledge. Therefore, I have to start bullshitting you, and I, I, I'm not. I don't. I don't know. But I, I, I found that interesting that it was symbolic of, of the silver currency, which never seems to be on you when you get back to Kansas. I thought that was hysterical. Well, the um, so here's a couple more tidbits. In 1903, in the Publishers Weekly interview that Baum does, he says the name Oz came from his file cabinet where he had a file called O through Z. Oz. I'll be damned. Yeah. <laughs> That's cool. Now... Yeah, and so um, local legend also has it that Oz, also known as the Emerald City, was inspired by a prominent castle-like building in the community castle near Holland, Michigan, where Baum lived during the summer. The yellow brick road was derived from a road at the time paved with yellow bricks located in Peekskill, New York, where Baum attempted the Peekskill Military Academy. Huh. So anyway... So I'm reading all this, and every time I read one of these little data points, I'm thinking, fucking Timmy. This is two days in a row. He's like pulled, he's used me as a stage prop in his theatrical production. Unintentionally, though. This, this is the beauty of the podcast stuff. This is stuff that happened that you wouldn't really think about when we were, you know, back when we were captains <laughs> bullshitting with each other. Every once in a while, a blind squirrel is going to find a joke. Every once in a while, yeah, it's just it's just the way it is. Hey, but I, I will, in my defense, I'll just say that I threw up, in, and you can click on it and see this 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 PDF thing. It was good because you could figure out what the hell was going on. I could answer real quick and sound like I knew what I was talking about. That's podcasting. I was like, wow, right it you know yeah. what it is, and it is the veneer type knowledge that we expect on yeah, pod in, in, in a podcast. The veneer of knowledge. <laughs> When Baum, exactly. when Baum filed for bankruptcy after his critically and popularly successful film and stage production, the Fairy League and radio plays failed to make back its production costs. Baum oh. lost the rights to all of his books published by what now was called Bob's Merrill, and they were licensed to the M.A. Donahue Company, which printed them in significantly cheaper blotting paper editions, with advertising that directly competed with Baum's more recent books published by Riley and Britain. So he loses all rights, all financial rights to The Wizard of Oz. Yeah. Just like Gutenberg in the stupid Gutenberg press. Right. By the time the Gutenberg press starts to work, he had lost to his partner. His partner got all the benefit. He got nothing. Yeah. History is amazing. It is. In that, it right? Is. The wonderful People's- Wizard of Oz has been adapted to other media numerous times. Within several decades of its publication, the book had inspired a number of stage and screen adaptations and three silent films. The most popular cinematic adaptation was The Wizard of Oz, starring Judy Garland. And the 1939 film was considered innovative innovative because of its special effects, which you look at now and are rather comical, I have to say. I haven't seen the movie in a long time. I watched it two nights ago. And I was looking at the special effects, and they're laughable, honestly. Yeah. But anyway, for the time, they were not. Um, and the rev- the revolutionary use of Technicolor. Right? And, I, and, and I think we can all remember our grandparents talking about the first time they went to a theater, right? 
and then all of a sudden this technicolor thing explodes on the screen and how amazing that was my dad my dad used to tell a story that his mother took them uh he had four brothers and sisters and she took them all to the theater to see it right and they all started crying when the when the witch um took toto and they left they didn't see the person <laughs> they left. They all start crying. My grandma says, "Right, I can't have this here." Right, my kids are crying. So she takes them out. They leave. She said, "He said I didn't see the rest of the movie till it came on TV." That's funny. Yeah, that is that is funny. Yeah, uh, yeah. I remember. Remember, we were kids. How they always have in the beginning of the movies, it filmed in Technicolor. Right, we'd be across the. Oh yeah, that yeah, was that, cutting edge. That was the first. The uh, I want to get your thoughts as a as a reader on my uh, what I talked about Vietnam. Uh, at some point, we'll get Jeff. Jeff will be back with us tomorrow. But um, the whole Admiral Stockdale thing. Yeah. At the Hano at the Hano Hano Hilton. Um, as I, I I think like most people. Um, that hears that story, my first reaction was, that's bullshit, that can't be true. There's no way that guys who were kept in solitary confinement and tortured in a prison, some for years, and there's this audio I play in in the presentation where John McCain says, it's not like I just walked out of three years of solitary confinement. And and you think, right? I mean, how would you ever be right in the fucking head? after Solitary, can you imagine? No, for three years. And so um, so you you then begin to read, you know, that they come home with the rate of uh, PTSD of uh, 4%. Everybody else in Vietnam, uh, according to the VA, comes home with the rate of PTSD at 30%. And there's people that challenge that number, saying there's people that have milked it. But even if we cut it at half, Mm-hmm. Right. And say, OK, it's 15 percent. All right. You know, there's this people that were kept in those conditions. There's just 4 percent. What happened there? And when you do go down that rabbit hole and, and you listen, uh, it's amazing. The story is amazing about their transformation while they were in prison. And one of the coolest parts that I've read. And then I'll cede you the floor is in the last year or six months of their captivity, the. Um, the Vietnamese, the North Vietnamese, gave them the books that Americans have been sending, right, for years. One of the books they read in captivity, with one person reading and 49 other guys in the cell, because they were in groups of 50, listening, is Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. So they're listening to Frankl... Oh, I'd forgotten that. ...recount his concentration camp experience... And then the, his development of logotherapy, which is, you know, Frankel's contribution, and that is the primary search that we have on this planet is for meaning. And that when you can give meaning even to something like your suffering, you will transform your life. And so they're reading that in captivity. And so the story is 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 an amazing, amazing story, but I'd be curious about um, your thoughts. Did you ever... You ever get a chance to meet Admiral Stockdale? Did you? I I don't know if I met him or not. I do know that he was running the Naval War College when my dad was a student up in Newport, and I remember that because of all the Greek uh, Stoic um, books that he had to read. I mean, they had 
I want to say epitagus, epitic. Epictetus. Yeah, Epictetus. I always get that mixed up with Epicurean for some reason. Right. But I remember that was one of those books because I picked it up and started reading it. And I do believe I went to some type of a an evening lecture type stuff where he talked. I'm pre- I'm pretty sure I was there with my with my parents at, at that. But I was aware of Stockdale's story because of the naval. My dad attended the Naval War College, and I was just hanging out, waiting to go to boot camp, and I had not much else to do but kind of go through some of the stuff that he was reading. And and I remember my father uh, talking about Admiral Stockdale, and you know, in glowing, glowing, glowing terms, he was so highly regarded by all the officers that were dealing with him at the time. He was it's just phenomenal. And uh, the only thing I about Stockdale that you that uh, the only thing about his whole story I hate was uh, the the running with Ross Perot because he felt obligated to be there and, and getting torn up, you know, in the debates. That was right. that was no way to go. I, 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 that upset me greatly, in fact, but that's... No, you, you, you read his story and, and, and you know, his understanding of Stoic philosophy and, and uh, mm-hmm. you watch the YouTube videos and his, his interviews at the Naval Academy and things like that, and you hear him say the things that he says, and you're like, holy shit, man, holy shit. Yeah. And it's one of the, in my opinion, it's one of the most amazing stories um, le- leadership stories, you know, in American military history is, is you know, the understanding that you will be broken. You know, Jeff's point the other day that does torture mm-hmm. work. Um, yeah, if you're looking to get information, you know, absolutely. It, it will do that. It did it. It worked in Korea where, you know, out of Korea comes the code of conduct because of what happened in the how, how Americans turned on each other. And Stockdale's understanding of not only the code of conduct, but uh, this world that, that they would live in, and the Stoic philosophers, um, is is creates this transformational experience. And then again, you read um, now these guys are getting up in in in, in age. Um, I think many of them in their nineties now, um, mm-hmm. and um, they were surveyed. I can't remember how many years ago. And 70% said, if given the opportunity, I would still go through that because of the impact. Wow. It had, because of the impact wow. it had on my life. That's amazing. It, yeah. That's amazing. Real, real quick, I wanted to just step off aside on this uh, uh, torture thing. If you remember, the whole purpose of, of D. Giovanni's uh, Night of Chaos was to prove to lieutenants that they, they could be broken easily. And if you remember, what he would do is he would have a guy that has been read in and the guy's going to act one of the students they would grab that guy's roommate and and the way that we broke the lieutenants every time was he'd ask him where the patrol base is they're not telling him he's asking where the patrol base is then they bring out his roommate and start hitting him with a cattle prod while he's standing in a a, a a barrel of water now he's acting and but that would that would break the lieutenant instantly i mean it didn't take any time at all so D. Giovanni's average time to break a lieutenant was five minutes, and that's not even that's not even trying hard. So right, right. That, that's the thing about the, the the. I just wanted to add that in there because we had we had we have demonstrated that ourselves um, with using using the mad scientist from the CIA, but the the Stockdale story. It's it's a it's it's a story that should have been more well known. Uh, the, the only time you would you would get a dose of Stockdale when we were on active duty was at the senior, uh, you know, 06 level professional schools. And I think it should have been right there at the very goddamn beginning, quite frankly, 
because that's a phenomenal story of endurance. And, you know, you've got to have these stories internalized. If you're in a shit situation, you got to have some touchstones. We can now safely conclude that in most of our young people, it's not going to be the Bible, that uh, it's a hell of a good touchstone to have when you're in a serious crisis. We're probably not available to most of them. So what do they've got? They've got stories. They've got stories about our heritage that reflect the, the, the attributes that we strive to achieve in our lives and not always successfully. And you can't do better than Stockdale. That, I mean, you can't, you can't react in a more, more better. You can't react in a, in, to, with more stoicism and purpose than Stockdale. And that is, again, a demonstration in the flesh of what purpose-driven lives look like. They are well, not always You clear. know, and I think um, to um, kind of end this, and I appreciate your time this morning, Tim, but... Oh, uh, no problem, brother. The... Um, when you when you go down this road with people, they don't have any patience if you won't tell them the truth. When you start, you know, if, if you can recall um, what you were like when you were going under duress, Tim, and if I recall what I was like in that situation, you don't have any patience for somebody trying to pump sunshine up your ass trying to give you that bullshit that time heals all wounds or there's a purpose in this and all that nonsense that people say. What resonates with you is when somebody looks at you and tells you the fucking truth and they say, I'm not going to, you know, people, I had somebody ask me last night, will my feelings about my guilt ever go away or subside? And my answer is no. No, how could they? Those feelings are so deep. And and this was a discussion about having an abortion when you're 19 and living with the consequences when you're in your 50s and 60s. And I can't get this. So, And, and my, my response is, how could, what can you say, what can somebody say to you that hasn't already been said that changes that? Answer is nothing, right? The only thing you can do, the only path left for you then is to learn from this experience, to use that experience to change the lives of others and to help others. That's as good as you could make it. And then once you understand where that young woman came from, once you understand the world she lived in and the pressure she was under and the fact that she was probably ignorant about a lot of things at the age of 19, you need to be more gentle with her and not as judgmental. And that's as good as it gets. And the response to that as opposed to, oh, time heals all wounds, it'll be okay, you'll get through this, is night and day. So the <laughs> truth, and that's what Stockdale offers. Go read this. Watch the videos. Listen to the audiobooks that these guys have written about this experience and how transformational it was. And what they did in the last couple of years, where they all get put together, and you know, there's guys who say, fuck off, leave me alone. And they have these confrontations. What do you mean? Hey, look, man, I betrayed you. I betrayed my squadron. I betrayed my country. Stay the fuck away from me. We'll get through this, and we'll live our lives. Mm. And what they got in response was, hey, do you remember when they came for you? <laughs> I gave them you. I yeah. betrayed you. We all did this. We all fail. So come be with us. They forgave each other. They told the truth about each other, right? They the helped, truth is powerful. Right? They helped each other, 
And as they transformed each other, they transformed themselves. And that's the, that's the path Stockdale. That's Epictetus's path of of, of Stoicism. And Stockdale and Stockdale does that. And so you're you're absolutely right. The historical the historical the historical um, example that they offer when you spin this yarn for somebody and they look at you like, yeah, whatever. Read it, motherfucker. If you think I'm bullshitting you, and if you don't think that you could do the same thing in, six, in in circumstances that aren't as dire but feel as dire to you, then I'm going to tell you you're full of shit. And so that historical example, like you're talking about, that evidence is is really huge because when you're in that place and you look at somebody and say, "Does it ever stop hurting?" and they look back at you and say, "No," that changes the conversation. No, it, never. It does. And there's a in that honesty thing. So let me, I'll never forget when I was a young corpsman at the Bethesda Hospital at the emergency room. In comes a guy, extremely overweight, old guy, uh, having heart pains, uh, having problems breathing and his chest hurts. The doctor basically after talking to him goes, okay, let me get this straight. You've been smoking two packs a day for 40 years. You drink alcohol every night. You're 100 pounds overweight. And you say you're having problems breathing. Well, that's what's supposed to happen. When you add 100 pounds, drink every night, and smoke two packs a day, that's that's a. I, I hear you. You can't breathe. What am I supposed to do about that? What do you want from me? I want something <laughs> to make me feel better to breathe. For what? For how long? I mean, so now, so let's go back to this depression thing. Okay, hypothetical situation. You're dealing with a guy lost a parent within the year. You know the guy's sleeping around with people that are not his wife. They know the guy's not behaving. Or you know that his work is slipping because covering his tracks is eating up enough not amount of his time and upping his alcohol intake. And 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 this guy says, I'm really depressed. Well, no shit. That's exactly <laughs> what the result of when you live like this, this is what you get. You get depression. You've earned it. You've you've earned it. So what is it you want from me? A pill? Are you fucking kidding me? That's gonna make you feel better while you're doing you see what I'm saying? And it wasn't until, and it took a long time to find anybody who was honest with me and said to me, just like that doctor said that that old retired guy was fat, what do you fucking expect given how you what you're doing? What do you expect you're going to have? Tranquility? Are you fucking insane? So that's another aspect that very, very un- underdressed in, in my opinion. No, but again. A lot of that shit you earn. Not you're, all of it. No, no, but you're right. We, yeah. yeah. What we think is that there's going to be some easy thing, right? And I just, again, I, I, I just watched a guy who, um, who met a daughter that he'd father, he fathered 35 years ago. I heard that story. Yeah, that was cool. And it starts cool, with man. his drinking issue, and slowly but surely he builds this infrastructure in his life that then lead, and that strength leads him to confronting he was adopted and then he fathers a child out of wedlock and he abandons that he does the one thing he says he'll never do in his life and this thing is is a heavy this thing is like a manhole cover on his heart Mm. right in in his life and he just meets her last friday and 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 this happens over the course of eight months 
that kind uh-huh. of that kind of transformation. Life, if you life life changing fucking story, right? Yeah. If and again, if you'll traffic in the truth, right? And and if you'll if you'll if you'll be a coach, so all of that. Yeah. Timmy, thank you very much for the visit. Yeah, buddy, no problem. I'll talk to you. Talk to you soon, man. All right, man. I'll be doing this. I'll talk to you tomorrow, as a yeah. matter of fact. Talk to you tomorrow. So yeah. All right, I right, hear, brother. Yeah, thank you. That'll do it on a Wednesday. My thanks to Tim Lynch for coming on and setting the record straight. Who knew, right? He was just goofing it the whole time. And he thinks that's what being a podcast guest is about. Yeah, so that that shit needs to get corrected in a hurry. So, yeah. Anyway, thanks for listening on this Wednesday. Merry Christmas again. Happy holidays to everybody else. And um, if I can help you help somebody, don't be afraid to reach out. Uh, It'll only make Christmas better. So that is the spirit of Christmas, right? The spirit of giving. So don't be afraid to give to somebody else. Anyway, uh, I'm Mike McNamara. This is All Marine Radio. Have a great Wednesday. The Mensa Brothers will be back here in toto manana. So have a great day. I'm out.